and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is our View from the Clock End podcast. Joining you the day after Arsenal's disappointing 2-2 draw with West Ham United. I'm joined by London's chief Arsenal writer, Kai Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I've been better after yesterday. It was a very deflating mm. result, very disappointing result, particularly from an Arsenal perspective. But listen, there's plenty of games still to be played, so got to try and keep positive where we can. We do, yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it was one of those where I just, as I said this morning, I just sat there, kind of just rubbing my forehead at the end of the game, like just how kind of you know you've got all these games against Man City, Newcastle, Chelsea, Brighton, you know, and then in the game in which you're looking at and going right, just get three points here, three points here, you drop the points. Um, I mean, how were you? Have you reflected on the result now? Are you looking at it in a more positive sense or is it very difficult to, to try and do that still? I don't think there's really a positive spin you can put on that result. It's too much. We're unbeaten. <laughs> Nine games unbeaten. Yes, that's true. Arsenal are unbeaten uh, in a, a while now. So, yeah, positive there, yeah. I guess. But uh, <laughs> that's a tough, it's a tough, tough spin, that one. And uh, to be honest, they probably should have lost. So I guess that's a positive spin that Michael Antonio hit the bar in the second half and West Ham would have deserved the win, I think, to be honest, if they got it. I think they were the better team across the course of the 90 minutes. Yes, Arsenal started very well. But again, after going 2-0 up, they sort of started playing with their food. And you can't do that in the Premier League. And if you give a team a sense of hope, just a glimmer of hope, then even a team like West Ham, who have been largely awful all season they've they've not really impressed at any stage even in games they've won they've not looked that convincing and we were there the atmosphere was very apathetic I said to you at the time like when the players came out I didn't even notice because um, the atmosphere was such a low-key vibe inside the London Stadium and it just seemed as if it wasn't a football it seemed like it was a, a funeral going on there and suddenly the place was awoken by that Thomas Partey mistake on the edge of the box Declan Rice steams in it's a fortunate penalty and maybe if you want to sort of look for a little bit of injustice and sort of try and justify the result to you yourself that way, you can you can look at that. But I think it was a penalty. Just, just about. So, yeah, after that, it was it was a bit of a capitulation from Arsenal, who had plenty of time to regain their composure, but just failed to. And, and that's that's a worry. That's a worry because it's happened twice in a row now. And Anfield, you can forgive because... There's sort of an inevitability about Anfield and you almost feel as though that's a kind of 12th man, if you like. I know that's a cliche, but it does make a massive difference. Whereas the London Stadium is not that. It's it's never going to be that and it's not even close. And to uh, follow the exact same game pattern where Arsenal surrendered a two-goal lead is, is really, really disappointing. And um, to be honest, I think it's given Man City a massive, massive uh, upper hand in the title race. Yeah, no, I'd be lying if I didn't agree. Um, because you're in a situation where you can keep that buffer going into the game against Man City. Um, yes, obviously, two points dropped still would have left things in a situation where if we'd lost to Man City, it was it would have been down to goal difference if we'd have obviously got the win uh, against Southampton and they won their game in hand as well, which effectively kind of feels like another point. So there's an argument that it, it doesn't change loads. But what I think it does change, obviously, is the momentum. I remember we talked last week and I said, winning West Ham and Southampton going into the Man City game compared to when we lost to Everton, drew to Brentford and then played Man City, that momentum was going to be really key. And 
I didn't mean to jinx things. <laughs> I really didn't. But, uh, you know, this Southampton game now, which we'll come on to a little bit later, obviously there's a lot more emphasis on on this one. Let's let's talk about some of the what went on. I mean, it's easy to start. We should probably sort it out first. Is, is The way in which we started the game, obviously, was very akin to how we started the Liverpool game, arguably more so. Very dominant, free-flying football, great bit of play uh, for both goals. Yes, question marks again about the the opposition's defending in both but you can't deny the quality of the creation of both goals and when we were 2-0 up it it felt like it was a title challenging side coming to a, a relegation club and kind of showing them this is this is the level you know and it was really encouraging at that point wasn't it <laughs> yes and all the narrative and the build up was pressure man city had uh, won the day before obviously and that meant the pressure was on arsenal and how would they deal with it and this season They've dealt with it pretty well, but they've never got to this stage of the season where it's sort of the start of the title running and you're just coming around the home stretch and everything matters that bit more. How do you cope with that? And it looked like Arsenal were coping with it pretty well. And it was a real sort of statement opening half an hour, if you like, where I leaned to a journalist in front of me and said, you know, we start talking about goal difference at this point. And that was that was the conversations we were having. It was how much can Arsenal close that gap between Manchester City? And I think at one stage it was 45 versus 50, and now obviously 43 versus 50, and that's that's going to be massive in the in the race for the for the Premier League. And yeah, it was it was really good. The start was really good, and we got to praise you know the likes of Martin Odegaard and Gabriel Jesus. And I thought I actually thought Thomas Partey started all right um, before it all went really wrong for him later on in the game. Martinelli was superb and. We'll come on to the subs later, I'm sure. But the decision to take the three of Martinelli, Odegaard and Jesus off will baffle me, I think, for long beyond this week. So, yeah, things started very well for Arsenal. They were looking really, really good. And again, it was that apathy from West Ham. They didn't look like a team who were particularly interested. They looked like a team who had sort of surrendered and they were happy to roll over and go on to the next game. But suddenly there was that error and the game turned on a sixpence. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally self-inflicted. And that's the frustration. Yeah, absolutely. It is self-inflicted, unfortunately. Let's cover the the controversy in the two decisions. Was it handball and was it a penalty? Uh, It's difficult because it's so close to Declan Rice, but Mm. I'm still not quite sure where we are on the handball rule where Mm. in the build-up to a goal, if it hits your hand, does that matter? I think it has to be a case of uh, if your hand sort of scores the goal, if that makes sense. And I don't think you could really, and obviously it didn't lead directly to the goal. There was still the penalty to be taken. So I don't think it was applicable here. And I think it was a bit too close to be considered a handball. And regardless, I don't think Thomas Partey should be trying to flick the ball over someone in front of his own box like that. I think you have to play a little bit safe, especially when you're away from home. And if there was an Arsenal player, I would have gambled on to keep their composure in that sort of situation. It probably would have been him, but it was surprising. It was a day of surprises for Arsenal. Then when you get into the penalty box, Gabriel loses his composure. And that's something we've not seen from him for a while where he's, you know, when he first came in, he had those moments of rashness in his game. I remember the, the Man City game on New Year's Day last year where he did show some elements of rashness. Whereas this season, he's been largely composed and cool throughout. And suddenly he panics and dives in and Paqueta certainly makes the most of it. And he flicks his leg into him. But if that tackle happens on an Arsenal player, I think we're all screaming for a penalty and I don't think we've really got any issues with it. So, yes, it was a penalty, um, just about. Very soft and it's one of them where if VAR sees the contact, they're not going to overturn the on-field decision. And it was a minor mistake. 
it wasn't as if it had been coming. It wasn't as if Arsenal had been making error after error before. There had been one instance where Rob Holding had, had brought down Mikel Antonio on the, ed- on the edge of the box, and that had been pretty much West Ham's only glimmer of hope in the entire match. But suddenly they were, they were alive, and it was a, a minor lapse, but it was punished in the, in the most cruel way possible. No, it really was. Um, I can't help but draw parallels to the previous week, obviously. And yes, uh, I think certainly in the rea- in the immediacy of the Xhaka, Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, incident, there was too much emphasis placed on that moment in particular. But I think that the goal that Liverpool scored, which there's a lot of fortune about with Henderson's kind of misplaced shot that lands at the feet of Salah, but obviously that really kind of swung the game in the favour of the home side. And you can't help but draw the parallel to the penalty swinging the, the game completely in the other direction because their penalty did feel out of nowhere. It did feel as though it was against the run of play at the time. But the game never really swung back into a direction where you felt like Arsenal were on the precipice of a goal or you felt like the same way that Liverpool's goal was inevitable. You never felt like Arsenal were going to inevitably score. There was a lot of possession, a lot of fine bit of trickery and passing around the outside of the boxes, kind of harking back to some old Arsene Wenger days where we just, you know, went around the edge of the 16-yard box and never were able to put the ball into the box in the right area. Why do you think that happens two games in a row where a single goal has completely changed the way in which Arsenal are performing in the game? Um, I do wonder if last week leads into this week. So if, if maybe last week hadn't happened, would this week have had such a big effect? So if Arsenal hadn't sort of seen the game turn so quickly against Liverpool, would they have felt the same way this time around? I'm not fully convinced. So there's that to consider. Um, I do think that the pressure of this season, this stage of the season is probably playing a big part. Mikel, I, asked, I actually asked uh, Mikel Arteta about that in the post-match and he specifically yeah. said... No, I don't think it is, because when the team plays as well as they did for the first half an hour, that's not pressure. But I saw an Arsenal team in the second half who, for the first time in a very long time, didn't look like they believed they were going to score. And that's been a consistent theme throughout Arsenal's title runs. They've they've always looked like a team who feel like they're going to get the goal. And, you know, Bournemouth is the prime example where they kept going right up until the very end, whereas West Ham did sit back and you would assume that Generally, when title-challenging teams go to a relegation-battling side and it's 2-2 in the final sort of half an hour, generally the game follows a pattern of play where West Ham sit back, Arsenal attack and sort of try and break them down. Yes, technically that did happen, but I don't remember a big chance Arsenal had. I remember one Kieran Tierney cross across the box where Gabriel Jesus possibly could have gotten the end of it. Beyond that, I can't really remember anything. And that's that the big one. Not only crossed a stacker that he headed wide as well, yeah. but it was like a, was nothing. Chance, yeah. yeah. Of course, there's the, the penalty, and there, you know, we talk about fine margins and games changing on the sixpence. And if Saka scored the penalty, as he has done every single one of his penalties for Arsenal prior to this game, and again, we we've heard from Arteta after the game, he said, "Look, I'd, I'd pick Saka again, and I think we'd all probably pick Saka to take that penalty." But if he scores that, then maybe Arsenal bounce back and they start going. You start talking about three, four, five, one. Who knows? But the way it went, Arsenal needed to find another reserve they need to go again and they weren't able to do that and that is the really frustrating thing and I think that is the most worrying thing as well because in situations like this you need to find a way to turn the tide and you need to find a way to sort of roar back towards a comeback and this was a bit of a whimper from Arsenal and yeah it's it's a real concern it is a real concern um 
because I look at the team that we're up against, you know, and to beat Manchester City, you have to be near perfect. And you certainly can't be giving up two goal leads. You know, Man City haven't done that all season. If they've taken a two goal lead, they've won the game. Um, and Arsenal now in two games in in, in a, sp- a space of eight days, you know, have, have managed to do it twice. And although it's only the second time in this entire season where we've had two successive games where we've dropped points, all the other times we've responded to a dropped point with a win, it just feels as though when you're in a scenario against the team that we're up against, anything other than perfection, you know, leaves you so vulnerable to them catching us. However, I did wake up this morning uh, with, a, I think, a greater sense of perspective on the league. I, I was so downtrodden about yesterday's result that I, I was calling it a defeat when I was talking to friends about it. Like I felt so much like we'd lost the game that I was calling it saying, we didn't lose because of X, Y, Z, etc. And now I had to be reminded, we didn't lose at all, mate. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we actually drew, but it felt so much like we drew. And my perspective on it was, is that, it's still in our hands, this whole title race. We still have that four-point gap. And yes, they have a, a game in hand. But not only do we have a gap, even if they were to win their game in hand, that we also have an opportunity. And I do look at it as an opportunity going to the Etihad. I feel as though if we didn't have that game, there'd be a lot more doom and gloom around our hopes yes. and chances. Because yes, if and- we can go there, it's a big if. It's a big, big if, if we can go there and get a result. Even, I think, avoiding defeat, let alone winning the game, would be a huge boost to morale and confidence. For sure. One thing we should say is if West Ham has taught us anything, it's that we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves. And Southampton is by no means yes. a banker. And <laughs> they need three points. And listen, we've seen these kind of games for Arsenal before where they're at home, they're favourites, and they don't manage to get the win. So Bournemouth, again, that teaches us that you know you can't take these games for granted. But... Assuming Arsenal do go on a win, as you know, I think it's fair to do. Yes, that Man City game is huge. And a draw, like you say, is not a bad result for Arsenal, but it does mean then from then on, like you say, you have to be perfect. And Man City are, are such a, a ruthless side, they're they're terminator like efficiency. Just it just means that any slight lapse in concentration is punished. And that's the reality of it. Last last week, Zinchenko, very end of the game, he's knackered. He goes over to try and stop Trent Alexander-Arnold. Alexander-Arnold, that makes him, crosses it, game over, draw. This week, Thomas Partey, normally the most composed player on the Arsenal team on the ball, decides to make a stupid decision, tries to flick it over Declan Rice's head. Arsenal are punished. And that is the reality of this title race that they're in, where even the smallest, smallest, smallest um, hiccup will get punished really severely. And basically, from now until the end of the season, if Arsenal want to win the Premier League, they can't afford to make any mistakes. They've kind of used up their nine lives. And if they want to keep going, if they want to keep challenging for the start, if they want to take it down to the final day, they basically have to win every single game except for the City one. And that's very difficult. I do worry about that head-to-head because City look really good at the minute. And uh obviously there's the the reverse fixture where they beat Arsenal pretty convincingly at the Emirates I know the game was relatively tight for a long period of time but it was pretty convincing in the end and do I think this Arsenal side can go away to the Etihad and win personally I don't but like you say it's an opportunity for them to prove us wrong and there's been plenty of times in the past where Arsenal have gone into big games and I'm not expecting them to win I didn't expect them to to win the FA Cup final against Chelsea either time. And they, they managed to do it then. I didn't expect them to necessarily win uh, against Liverpool earlier this season. I didn't expect them to win against Spurs away this season. And they, they proved time and again that they're capable of defying the odds. And 
I didn't expect them to even be in a title race this season. So Arsenal have made a habit of defying odds this season. They made a habit of surprising us and hopefully they can do that again at the Etihad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, before I go into some of the individual performances, what do you make of, because I know you've written about this, I know you feel strongly about it, this line of bottling the league that's been peddled uh, by a fair few pundits and even some of our own supporters online as well? I think it's nonsense. Uh, to be mm, honest, I agree. <laughs> uh, I, well, I wish I, I'll give you a slightly more uh, sort of articulate, yeah, uh, uh, yes, expansion on that. But I think if you go into a season realistically, not even expecting to come top four, I know Arsenal fans would have expected Arsenal to come top four, and obviously the signs towards the end of last season were, were pretty good and. It's not necessarily a surprise to most people who've been watching Arsenal for the past couple of years that this team has been able to ramp it up in the way they have just because how young they were and the potential that they had and the way things have clicked and the signings that have been made. But no one expected Arsenal to realistically finish above third this season. Suddenly, they find themselves in a title race and they're four points clear. Now, you can't have it where you say it would be a shock for Arsenal to win the Premier League, but it would also be a disaster if they don't. It's one or the other. And if you want to say Arsenal should win the Premier League because they're a big team and, you know, it's not a surprise they've got here, then, you know, I think you're wrong, but fair enough to that. But you can't be saying that it's going to be a shock for Arsenal to win the league and then also trying to claim that if they don't then go on to win the league, that they somehow bottled it or it's a disaster or anything like that. Because this Manchester City side is, I think, the best team that football has ever seen. I know they've not necessarily got the Champions League trophies to prove that, but their relentlessness and how they keep coming and they keep scoring 90-plus points every single season, I don't think that'll ever be matched in the future. And I think that's going to be really, really difficult to topple. And that's the challenge Arsenal face. And if you look at... It's not a fairy tale. It's not like Arsenal have, have got their way to the top by accident. You know, it's, they spent money as well, but they spent less money and they spent it cleverly. And, yeah, I just think that to, to say that Arsenal are bottling it against a team like Man City and given when no one expected them to even be close to the top of the league... I think that's uh, a total misreading of the situation and I think potentially uh, ignorant, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, it's difficult to not be... It's difficult to not be frustrated, obviously, when people try to kind of downplay or to undermine what is a really successful season for Arsenal. And obviously, you're coming from the perspective of, of pundits as well, That, like Roy Keane, for instance, who obviously has won a lot of titles, has been in a Man United team with that kind of no-nonsense attitude of like, if we don't win the title, you know, we've not, we've not succeeded. Without a trophy, you can't call it success kind of attitude. And I completely understand that mindset. And I wish it was, I wish it was something that we can adopt every season at Arsenal because it would mean that we'd be very successful every single year. But I think that you need to apply context to that situation. And I think maybe that lacks it such. Uh, let's talk about some of the individuals in the game. I want to talk about Rob Holding briefly um, because I think he's obviously received quite a lot of focus um, from fans and the reaction to the game. I've got my kind of view on it. I want to hear from you first to add some perspective. Um, what have you made of 
what did you make of his performance and what do you make of the reaction that we see to his performance? So I think the reaction is maybe a touch harsh because I don't think you can accuse Rob Holding or criticise him for, for not being what he isn't, if that makes any sense. So Arsenal would have gone into the season knowing that they had Rob Holding in reserve and knowing that he has limitations as a player. And he's very good at blocking and defending the 60-yard box. And if you want that kind of situation at the end of a match, he's the perfect guy to bring on. But if you want to go away and you want to dominate and you want to press high and you want to leave your centre-backs exposed and drag them into wide areas where they have to defend, as Mikel Antonio took him into wide areas quite a lot, Rob Holding just isn't, isn't your guy. And that's not a knock on you know him as a player. It's just something that he can't do. It's just not something he excels at. And... If you drag him into those wide spaces, suddenly he starts to look very vulnerable. And if you go up against him 1v1, he looks very vulnerable as well. And Mikel Antonio has not had a good season by any stretch of the imagination, but he had the better of Rob Holding. And I do think Holding's done pretty well this 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 run in the team. I thought he was actually OK at Anfield, despite the penalty. I thought he was good against Leeds and good against Palace. But we saw the the limitations that he has as a player. And I don't really feel I can get angry at him because of that. And I feel like criticism of him is probably a little bit harsh, given that he's probably going to play the next couple of games and it's looking like he may even play at the Etihad. So all you can do is try and sort of love him for what he is rather than hate him for what he's not. And it's, it's very difficult because it's very difficult not to get nervous about that. And it's very difficult not to get even more sort of angsty given what's at stake. But there's not much Arsenal can do to change it at the minute. Tommy Asu's out injured, Saliba's out injured. That's both the alternatives that you probably would have played instead. And I don't know what else you can do. You can maybe put Kibior in, but two left-footed centre-backs for some reason doesn't seem to work. And I'm not fully convinced from what I've seen from him so far. So you've just got to keep persisting with Rob Holding and maybe you start to adapt the team a little bit more. Maybe you have Ben Whitehall back a bit more. Maybe you shift Partey over to protect him a bit more. But it's it's very difficult. And I think it's very difficult to, to criticise him for, for what he isn't, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of focus, obviously, on the fact that we are missing William Saliba. And no matter what happens, your third choice right centre-back, which is what Rob Holding is, because I feel if Tommy Asu was fit, Ben White would be playing right-sided centre-back and Tommy Asu would probably be at right-back right now. Um, I think that you're going to see... You're, you're not going to see a performance that is as good as your starting right-sided centre-back. So... In that, it might, it might, people might turn around and go, well, why don't you buy better? And I th the argument to there would be, well, no one was saying to me in January and no one was saying to me in the summer that the third choice right-sided centre-back was something we had to make sure that we upgraded upon. We all knew what the priorities were and we were all discussing those. And I think Arsenal did really well to cover those positions in the in the two windows that we had. Bring in a forwards, react to the, the miss of Mudrick with a great signing in Trossard, miss out on Caicedo and Rice go and get Jorginho on a short-term contract to cover off that position for a short-term period. And obviously, we had no other left-footed centre-back after Pablo Marie left on loan. And we got Kivior in, in January, I think, to everybody's supply, surprise and, uh, you know, admittedly, delight. Because even though we didn't expect it, having someone to come in and cover off that position was important. So, when you've got three players who can play right-sided centre-back, arguably four, because Tommy Asu could also play there himself if he wanted to. And you've got Saliba, Tommy Asu, White and Holding. I don't think we needed to look at signing a right-sided centre-back. And so I, despite suggestions that maybe we should have looked to sign someone there, I mean, I don't mind next summer us discussing that position and thinking to go to the next level, that is certainly an area that we can look to invest to. But this season, it's just down to bad luck that we lost Saliba and Tommy Asu at the same time, at that point in the season, for the injury types that we you know, suffered and that we've had to 
basically make do. That said, we still managed to get, we still managed to beat Crystal Palace, beat Leeds, go to Anfield and avoid defeat. And obviously we've been unfortunate. And if you look at yesterday's game and think that Rob Holding's the reason we didn't win, I would respectfully ask you maybe to rewatch and just consider the reasons as to why we didn't that considering the two goals we conceded did not come down his sides they both came down our left flank instead for the penalty across the box and of course for their goal over the top of Gabriel to Bowen for the second goal um yes we're restricted in terms of distribution I think out from holding because Saliba is brilliant in terms of a centre-back of his distribution but again I don't think that's a surprise or anything anyone should be shot by that our third choice is limiting us with that uh distribution so yeah, I think there is a bit of an overreaction to the holding situation. But admittedly, we're going to see some mitigations in our performance because of not having not just one of our starting uh, back four out, but two because Zinchenko was out as well. Moving ahead to, to Southampton, um, I spoke to Granit Xhaka after the game and he said that he basically promised that we would see a reaction, which was good to hear um, from him um, to say that, you know, you will see a reaction on on Friday. How you said there, it's really easy as to kind of overlook this game and look straight to City because it's only on the Wednesday after. Do you foresee any kind of hangover or do you think there will be any, anything additional motivation to really fire into this one? I'm wary of having told everyone not to overlook this game that I'm now going to sound like I'm overlooking it. But um, yeah, I think Arsenal will bounce back. Um, I don't see a lot from Southampton to, to cause Arsenal too many problems. They're, they've not got an awful lot up front. They're pretty leaky at the back. James Ward-Prowse and set pieces is obviously a massive threat and try to avoid giving him any free kicks on the edge of the box if he can. But beyond that, I don't really see where Southampton cause Arsenal too many problems. And if Arsenal turn up, which I think they will, because based on this season, apart from the West Ham game, they've generally handled moments of adversity pretty well. And they've been able to bounce back from bad situations pretty well. If you look at how... They reacted to defeat at Manchester City. They went on to win seven in a row. So if they can do something similar here, and we have to keep pointing out, like you said, that they didn't actually lose to West Ham, then they will probably go on and win the Premier League. So I think they'll come back. I think they'll win against Southampton. And yes, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but maybe you can look at like a goal difference boosting victory. And I think it's big as well that Man City aren't playing in the Premier League this weekend. They're playing in the FA Cup, of course, against Sheffield United and they're semi-final so it's a real chance for Arsenal to, to open a bit more of a gap at the top and maybe psychologically give themselves a bit more breathing space ahead of that head-to-head game and just make it seem maybe not so important but it's going to be big it's going to be big and it's a game that Arsenal again need to win but it's a game they always needed to win so not much has changed for them uh, I think it's going to be hopefully an Arsenal victory but um, I can't see Southampton springing an upset like West Ham did. Yeah, I was I was talking to a Southampton fan earlier, um, and I think that their kind of worries, it's still ironically similar to West Ham, is that they don't score too many goals at the moment. You know, from open play in particular, they've got James Ward-Prowse, who provides so much threat. And that's, I think, from our perspective, is you can't start giving free kicks outside the box. You can't start giving too many corners away because they are really dangerous with James Ward-Prowse in and around the box. He is the best free kick and set-piece taker in the world. I don't think there's too many people that would disagree uh, with how good he is. It's a, it's a bold expression. Do you think that's out of there? I think, he, I think I he's the best free kick taker in the world. It's, I'm trying to... The second you said that, I thought, what other set-piece takers are there? And none are coming into my brain right now, so I'll, I'll let you have it. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, look... It, He's, look, whatever what we do know is that he's absolutely very, very, very good at them. And so we just need to make sure that we are uh, covering that that bit off. Would you make any 
kind of changes. Some people have suggested maybe after, you know, Arteta really threw the minutes into Saka, does he rest? But for me, you know, even though he's had a bit of a dip, I think the best way to play yourself into form is to play yourself into form by playing, not being rested. There's no chance Bukayo Saka doesn't start that game on Friday. Uh, I think he probably should have come off on um, Sunday, to be honest. I think he was having a bad day at the office and I think Arteta's reluctancy to, to take him off was a real problem. And I think taking off Martinelli was poor, taking off Erdogan was poor, taking off Jesus was questionable. But um, yeah, I think Saka will start again. I think he'll play again and, and I think hopefully he'll score again because he's been fantastic all season. Um, another change, if Zinchenko's fit, and it seems like he will be, then bring him back in for Southampton, because I just think he offers that extra level of control in the midfield. I thought Tierney was fine, but he's no Zinchenko when it comes to the level of control he offers. So, yeah, that would be the one change I think I've made from the, the starting eleven. And again, as much as we want to criticise the, the team that went out there, there's there's not an awful lot different that I don't think anyone would realistically do. I don't think anyone's chucking... Smith Rowe in. I don't think anyone's chucking Vieira in. I don't think anyone's chucking Trossard into the starting lineup. Maybe ahead of one of those three, but I can't see it myself. So, yeah, I think that the lineup stays pretty much the same, except for if Sinchenko's fit, he comes straight back in. Yeah, I think so. That's the only change I'd make. Uh, we still haven't got any update regarding specifics on Saliba and a return. Arteta said a few weeks in the last press conference, you know, he's obviously going to be vague. Um, if there was a game that you think you would throw him into, you know, it probably it would have been Manchester City, you would think. Um, it would have been nice maybe to give him a few minutes against Southampton if that was ever possible to kind of lead him into that. But I'd be shocked if he's if he's in that team uh, on Friday. But who knows? Stranger things have, have happened. You want to come in on that? No, no, nothing to say, really. Just hopefully that he'll be able to train before the game. They won't throw him in without a training session, I don't think so. If he doesn't train before Friday, then I can't see him making the squad, like you say. But uh, hopefully he'll be back for City. Um, obviously, this is the last time myself and you are going to record before Southampton. And the last time I'll be recording something with you until I'm back from America next week. Um, so I'm going to ask you cautiously for a prediction for the Southampton game oh. ahead of time. Ah. Be as brave as you like. 3-0 <laughs> Arsenal. Why not? 3-0? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I said 3 0, 3 1. One of the two. I just can't see us not keeping clean sheets at the moment. Let's it's... go 4 then. Let's go 4 0. Love it. Love the positivity. I said 5 0 yeah. yesterday. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, blind you them. let's do it. Indeed. Yeah, the mother in law is a West Ham fan. I was really giving it. And let's just say I was not looking at the group chat at full time. I would not be doing that to myself. And uh, now I'm running off to another continent to escape her now. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an easy escape for me. Um, it's been a shorter show today. Obviously, we did this uh, pretty last minute to, to jump on and, and do a pod for you all. So we hope you've appreciated it and covered everything. If you have been uh, sparked by any thoughts that we've discussed, do leave them in the comment section down below and we'll try and trigger them. Kai, is there anything that you want to shout out before we leave? Anything you think we've not touched upon? No. Uh, read my piece, having a go at Roy Keane. That was fun to write. Um, <laughs> if you want, uh, we've done an analysis of the games that are coming up and the massive fixtures that Arsenal have coming up when Man City might edge ahead in the title race, when Arsenal might edge ahead in the title race. So that's coming out later this evening. Um, yeah, if you like this podcast, share it with all your friends, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we'll have uh, coverage of press conferences, all that kind of stuff uh, ahead of the Southampton games. So yeah, keep it on football.london for all that good stuff. Smash that like button for a second. I was waiting for it. But, uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> the YouTube cliche. Nearly was there. Yeah, no, we do indeed share it amongst your friends if indeed uh, you can. We would appreciate it. Uh, usually, obviously, we're much more prepared for these and we'll be putting out tweets asking for questions ahead of the next podcast, which should be after the Southampton game. Perhaps, you know, it'll be after the Man City game, um, the next one. So, uh, yeah, unless, of course, Kaya finds a replacement in a week. Who knows? Maybe someone else, Umar, might be able to pop up and do one. We'll see. Uh, thank you ever so much, guys, for tuning in. Really appreciate your time. Do drop a like in the video. Make sure you follow us on social medias at KayaKarnak97, at Tom Canton Media, and all of our written work over at football.london. See you soon. Have a great day. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh, yeah. I'm